tell you this, you're going to want to stay till the end. Not only when you think it's over, but I just want to make mention it's not over. I got something real special. Many people don't know about it. I talked to, to my wife about this yesterday, and uh, she was in alignment with it. So I said, amen, praise the Lord. Said, as long as my wife's in alignment with it, praise the Lord. And also many other pastors, I've been talking with many of them, two in particular, and you're going to be hearing. It has nothing to do with my message, but you'll see what I'm talking about at the very end. So if you're thinking, oh, service is over. That's all I'm going to say. Something real special. I've been praying about this for a long time. Matthew chapter 19. Now we're going to get into the message here this morning. Verse 16, if you have it, say amen. If you don't, get a Bible. Amen. Got to get one. Got to get one. I emphasized it last week. Got to have a Bible. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what could... Good thing must I do to get eternal life. Why do you ask me about what is good? That's funny how huh? Jesus is always answering questions with a question. Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones, the man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 20. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad. Because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be with this word, Lord God. Remove me, place your Holy Spirit behind this pulpit. He that has an ear, let him hear. Not me, but you. In Jesus' name. And all together we said... Before you're seated, shake your neighbor's hand and tell them, who do you love? Then you may be seated. Here this morning, we're going to get right into it. We're going to get right into it. I pray it cools down here just a little bit because it might get a little bit heated. But we're going to get right into this. Are you ready? Money. Mm -hmm. The moment you say that, everyone, oh, oh, man, here we go again. I'm going to bring it to you in a little different perspective here this morning. The moment we say this word, Money, our minds begin to wander. It wanders even into dimensions that many of us cannot even, even fathom, yet we try. Why is it that Christ's principles and speeches to the masses and, and also to the disciples were more about money and giving than death, faith, 
hell and sin combined. Let's read a few portions of scriptures just so you can see what I'm talking about. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. If you don't have it, I'm going to go a little fast through these. Hopefully we'll have them here up on the screen. Luke chapter 16, verse 10, it says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will, will also be dishonest with, with much. So if you have been not trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in where? In where? Where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. If you're just writing them down and you're taking notes, go ahead and just write down the scriptures and you can go back to it later on throughout the week. Or tonight at your journey group, 5 o'clock, pick one. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15 says, Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. It's funny how Pharisees wanted to trap Christ with money. You ever notice how people always try to trap you when it comes to money? Oh, the church. Watch this. They sent their disciples to him along with Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with truth. With the truth, you aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent. See, there's something about money and evil. It just connected somehow. It has, there's a root in there. It's just, there's a connection. We're going to be talking about it. Just be very careful with that. He says, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites. Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him the denarius. And he asked them, whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, give Caesar, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Even after that portion of scripture says they were in amazement. They didn't get it. What's going on here? Luke chapter 19 verse 8. Look at this. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. See how even right here, finances and the salvation. See, a lot of times people, when it comes to money, they even ride their salvation on it. Matthew chapter 13. I still got more scriptures. We're going here. Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of this life, look at this. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Luke chapter 16. These are, these are the woes right here. Or excuse me, Luke chapter 6. I'm sorry. Luke chapter 6, verse 24. But woe to you who are rich. See, even Jesus had the woes before anybody else. You know, when certain some situations come up, you go, whoa, 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 hold on. See, Jesus had the woes before everybody else. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Now, in your own time, I want you to read that portion of Scripture, break it down. It's, it's a very, very heavy portion of Scripture, even within the context of Luke chapter 6. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. 
through 44, it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury, more into the baskets, more into it than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And there's many, many more, many more portions of Scripture where Jesus, these are just out of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Of the portions of scriptures that I just read, just a few. There is so many portions of scriptures on finances that not just Jesus talked about, but all throughout the scriptures. And when it comes to money, people get funny. When it comes to giving, people get, oh, I don't know about that. There's a very uh, famous story that we, we always tell a lot. I like to share a lot about it, about a drowning man. You ever heard that story? There was a drowning man. He was going down a river. And he's going down the river. And he didn't have much time to get saved. But as he's going down the river, the rescue workers, they saw him. And as they went, they said, okay, we got to rescue this man. So they tied the rope around the first rescue worker. And he said, okay, I'm going to get this guy before he's come down. And so he's meeting him down the river. And, and he sees the man and he's coming. And he says, give me your hand, give me your hand. And the man drowning just kept on going. Then the second rescue worker said, man, i, I got to get this guy because if, if we don't get him, he's going to die. He's, he's going to go off the, uh, off the waterfall over there. we got to catch him. So another rescue worker ties a rope around him. He sees the man coming down the river. The, the, the river's just rushing fast, going fast. And then here comes the, the other rescue worker says, give me your hand. Give me your hand. And the man's going down, and he just keeps on going. Then finally, a third rescue worker snaps to it, says, oh, I got it, I got it. Ties a rope around himself, sees the man coming down. The river's about to go. He's the last resort. If he doesn't catch him, that's it. He's dead. He's gone. The man is drowning. He's going down. He's going down. And the man says, take my hand. And the guy then takes his hand, saves himself. Because it's so funny that men and women, even when it comes to drowning, they'll still won't give up anything. They won't give up anything. Give me your hand. I ain't giving you anything. I don't care if I'm drowning. Come on, give me. No, I ain't giving you nothing. I don't care who you are. Yeah, I may be drowning, but at least I'm going to drown on my own. I'm going to die on my own. Take my hand. Oh, okay, I'll take something. What do you want me to take? I'll take anything. But a lot of times, that's how people are. They could be drowning in their sin, but they still won't give up nothing. There are many people that even come to church. They're drowning and drowning. I ain't giving up nothing. I don't care. I ain't giving him all the praise. I ain't giving him a little bit of praise. I ain't giving him no praise. I was going to keep it to myself. Because when it comes to giving, when it comes to finances, when it comes to money, people just get funny. And yet the scriptures talks about it so much when it comes to finances and giving. I like what Alexandra Dumas Phil said. He said, do not value money for any more nor less than it's worth. It is a good servant, but a horrible master. Oliver Holmes said, a man is usually more careful of his money than of his principles. Ooh. I'm going to say that one more time. When I read that, it, wow. Oliver Holmes said, a man is usually more careful of his money than of his principles. Now, when I heard this, I said, man, there's something really caught my attention. Something that I've always heard. You ever heard about the lottery winners? You ever heard about those? I checked it out. I studied on the, uh, I did a little research on the lottery winners. And these were some of the founding, findings that I, that I had found. 
A person by the name of Kelly Rogers blew a 2003 United Kingdom lottery jackpot of $3 million on shopping, cocaine, friends, and breast augmentation and told reporters that two years ago she was working as a maid. She blew it all. Blew everything. And now working as a maid. No more. Another person by the name of William Bud Post squandered his 1988 Pennsylvania prize of more than $16 million on houses, vehicles, and bad businesses before going bankrupt and serving time for firing a shotgun at a bill collector. Then he passed away in 2006. Now, are, are these outcomes rare? Actually, a recent study in Florida of the lottery winners suggests that this is not rare. Economists at the University of Kentucky, University of Pittsburgh, and also Vanderbilt wanted to answer a public policy question. What happens when individuals in financial trouble are given large lump sums of money? So this is what happened. They collected data from nearly 35,000 winners of up to $150,000 in Florida's Fantasy Five lottery from 1993 to 2002. They did research on 35,000 winners. And then what they did is they cross-referenced this information with state bankruptcy records. Their findings, they published this last fall in the Review of Economics and Statistics. They show that a big lottery score does little to reduce the likelihood of bankruptcy. More than 1,900 winners went bankrupt within five years. 1,900 people out of the 35,000 went bankrupt in five years. This number implies that 1% of Florida lottery winners, uh, players, both winners and losers, go bankrupt in any given year. And they double, about double the rate for the broader population during this study period. In other words, outside of Florida, it was even double that. Many people believe, if I just had money, I would be perfect. I'd be perfectly, I'd be just fine. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I answered this question many, uh, many times before, and I'll answer it again. A lot of people say, well, how much money can a Christian have? As much as you don't love. The problem is, many people, they love money way too much. Many people love money more than they love principles. When it comes to finances, like, oh, you know, I, I, you know just really, I, I, yeah, shh, be quiet. Okay, let's yell Jesus. Okay, Jesus, Jesus, money, money. See, the Bible even connects money to your faith. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Many have wandered from the faith because they were eager for money. I need money. I got to have money. If, man, if I ain't got money, I'm not living. I want you to know something. You can live without money. You can. You can live without money. And we're going to be talking about that right now. See, how much money can you have? As much money as you don't love. See, the one thing that you and I need to understand is that the enemy knows that a big weapon that he has is money. Now, money itself is neutral, but the enemy knows this. And so what does he do? He targets it and he uses it against you and I. So what does he do? The moment we come into church, 
We say, oh, man, okay, that's it. We've got to be very, very careful. Now they're picking up money. See, they're picking up money. And all of a sudden, you start putting thoughts in your mind. Starts putting stuff in your mind. The enemy wants to take out your money through your mind. Through your mind. He targets your mind. He goes after it. See, when the enemy first wanted to lead the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, into sin, he went after their mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived from the serpent's cunning, from the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. See, why would Satan want to attack our mind? Because your mind is a part of the image of God where God communicates with us to reveal his will to you and I. See, it's very unfortunate that many Christians have minimized the significance of the mind because the Bible highlights it very, very important. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, but be transformed by the renewing of your, by the renewing of your, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. See, God renews our lives by renewing our minds. And he renews our minds by giving us the truth. See, a lot of times we here, we've, we've grown up with principles of money since we were five and six years old as being hustlers. We've learned how to hustle money. So those are the principles that we know. So when it comes into church, we hear money, we think, oh, man, we're hustling. It's time to hustle again. Okay, i got to make money. So whenever we hear that, we attach it to our old thoughts, our old way of doing things, our old way of happenings. We do the same thing not just with money but with relationships. Oh, see, I know, what kind of, I know the kind of guy he is. I know the kind of girl he is. Right away we just look at people, oh, I know, I know. And so because our mind needs to be renewed. Our mind needs to be made pure once again. Tell your neighbor, renew your mind. See, our minds meet, need to be renewed through the truth, and the truth is the word of God. John chapter 17, verse 17 says, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. See, my friend, if Satan can get you to believe a lie, then he can begin to work in your life to lead you into sin. This is why he attacks the mind, and this is why we must protect our minds from the attacks of the enemy. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Think about these things. Listen, I, I don't, just this scripture alone, we can go on, off into a whole message and a whole sermon, but I, I, want, I want to tell you something. These things, these things, I wish I could emphasize it a whole lot more when it comes to media. I have, I have a message on it. One of these days I'm going to preach on it. When it comes to uh, movies, music, and money, called the M&M&Ms. It's all the media, music, uh, money, and the movies. Because you've got to be very careful of the things that go into your mind. Be very careful. Listen, I know it's funny. I know it's a good movie. I know, but man, see, you may think, well, I could take it. I could take it. Okay. In your thought process, you can take it, but your mind, it really can't. Your mind, it really can't. Because your mind, well, why do you think if, if you listen enough to a certain song, eventually you're going to be like, hey, I'm a player, because that's what the song says. Listen to a song enough, say, yeah, I can do it on my own, because that's what it says. I can do what I want. 
Do whatever. It's your thing. Do whatever you want to do. You can do it. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Who cares? Just go have fun. Live your life. Hey. Just live your life. It doesn't matter. Listen, and you start, because your mind starts dwelling on these things. Starts dwelling on these things. And so what happens is many of the things, the best things in life are free, but I need money. Yeah, that's what I want. I need money. And so what happens is your mind gets programmed to, yeah, I, you need money. That's what you need. That's what you need. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You need money. You got to have money. You got to have money. You got to have money. And so your mind needs to be renewed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. These things that are good. And listen, some of the things that come into your eyes, that come into your mind, listen, some of those, you don't need them. Tell your neighbor, you don't need them. See, the enemy targets your mind, but you have a weapon. Tell your neighbor, you got a weapon. Tell your neighbor, you got a weapon. See, Satan knows of this powerful weapon. This weapon is called faith. Somebody say faith. Somebody say faith. See, Paul made sure of a, to a certain church in Thessalonians in chapter 3. You can read it on your own time. All he talked about to them was about their faith in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Talked about their faith in Romans chapter 1. Verse 17, it shares about how we grow and how we live from faith to, faith to, that's how we are. Faith is a very, very strong weapon. It's a strong weapon. It's what you and I have to go against the enemy. It's called faith. Matthew chapter 9 verse 29 says, it shall be done according to your See, the thing that hinders the work of God is not his lack of power, but sometimes our lack of faith. The thing that hinders the work of God is not his lack of power, but many times it's our lack of faith. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 58, it says that he performed no miracles because of their lack of faith. Mark chapter 6, verse 6 says that he even wondered, Jesus did, he wondered and was amazed at their lack of faith faith. I've shared this before many a times about how whenever you hear Jesus talking to his disciples, many times he was always trying to get to their faith. Always trying to get to their faith. Because it was very easy to wander from the faith. It's very easy. See, here in church, we can lift our hands and worship God and hallelujah and we look good and we wear a tie and we wear a dress and hallelujah, I believe in Jesus. I believe you're my healer. But then you leave here and you're like, I don't believe in nothing. There ain't no way. I, I mean, I know I can lift my hands, but look at this bill. I mean, look, there's no way. Faith. Come on, faith. Because you leave here and it's very easy to wander from the faith. So that's why whenever Jesus was around his disciples, he was always trying to get to their faith. When he's in the boat with them, he turns around, rebukes the winds of the waves, and then he tells them, you of little he was always trying to get to their faith. They said, Jesus, show us a sign. He says, how do you not still believe? You've been with me. Do you not have faith? You've been with me. You've been here. He was always talking to their faith. It's because faith is a very strong weapon. When you get this thing, when you grab a hold of faith, my friend, there is no enemy that can take it away of whatever you have. When you begin to use this by faith, by faith, when you read the book of Hebrews and you get into that hall of faith, this is by faith, Noah, by faith, Moses, by faith, by faith, this ministry was built. It wasn't built on money. It wasn't 
on millionaires. This ministry, this church was built on faith. By faith, Moses. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Noah. By faith, David. By faith, Samuel. By faith, Pastor Stephen Josie. By faith. Faith is a powerful weapon. Tell your neighbor, you've got it. By faith. Now here in Matthew chapter 19, we're coming to a close right here. We see this portion of scripture and what this rich young ruler and what we see and what Jesus was trying to do. Now here we see, this is not a parable. This is not a parable of the rich young ruler. This is an actual man coming to Jesus. See, a lot of times we hear the parable, you know, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son, the parable, the parable, all these, all these parables. And so we're trying to, you know, get it together. Like, oh, okay. But here, this was an actual man that came to Jesus. He didn't understand something. He didn't get something. So when he came, when he came here to Jesus, this was an actual happening that took place right before him. This took place right before Jesus' youth group, his very own disciples. See, the issue that came up was the idolizing of wealth and the lack of compassion for the needy. And Jesus recognized this. He saw a young man ready with a do-it-yourself religion. There are so many people today, even in Christianity, that are in the do-it-yourself religious routine. Now, some of you may say, well, what do you mean, do it yourself? Uh, much, many phrases that you hear within the do-it-yourself religion, you'll, you'll hear like, well, at least I'm not like her. At least I'm not like him. And what happens is you feel yourself better than her. See, look, look my suit is more expensive than his. Therefore, I must be a leader. I have to be. My car doesn't break down as much as his, but it breaks down a little bit. It's okay. And so what happens is we start comparing. We start comparing. And that's that do-it-yourself. I can fix it. Oh, okay, that's all I have to do? Great. That's all I must do? Oh, okay, great. I just have to be better than her? I just have to be better than him? And that's what was happening right here, this do-it-yourself religion. It becomes so religious in movement that there is no joy in action. See, many people are still in bondage in their hearts because what happens is a tithe becomes a tax. When it comes to giving, tithing no longer becomes a joy. It no longer becomes an act of worship. It becomes, oh, I got to come and pay my heavenly tax. Because whenever you hear IRS or taxes, uh, let's be honest, nobody likes taxes. Nobody really likes them. We're figuring out ways to get out of taxes. Like, oh, I don't want no taxes. Now, some people, we, we can live with taxes. We're all right with it because we have to. But whenever you hear that word tax, especially when you go into a place and you want to buy something, you say, oh, okay, it's, you know, it's $5.99. Okay, how much, of the, how much is that? With tax. Right? Like, okay. If I don't pay $599, how much is the tax? Come on, what's it, be honest, what's the tax? Because we want to know. I'm like, okay, all right, because I know it's not $599. I, I actually have $599, but you're going to tell me tax, and then I'm going to get mad, and then we're going to have a conversation, and this is not going to be very pretty. Right, because that's what taxes does. It's like, oh. Well, the funny thing about it is that that's how many people perceive the tithe. 
when we come into the church house, and we say, okay, let's give them our tithes and offering. Oh, this is not going to be very pretty right now. This is not going to be very pretty. Because we have reduced the tithe to a tax. We have reduced giving to God in an angry, bitter, old way of thinking type of happening, type of action within our lives. Many people still have this bondage within their heart. That you are only blessed if you give this much. If I give this much, then I'm going to be blessed. Okay, I'm going to give this and then I will be blessed. When you read it in the scripture, there was a widow woman that we read earlier that gave only a mite. Another man, Zacchaeus, gave back four times what he felt was even needed. When you read these portions of scriptures, it doesn't necessarily say that these were even tithes. It just says that they gave. They gave. That to me, as I was reading these scriptures, I read it up and down. I read commentaries up and down. It doesn't necessarily say that it was a tithe. It just says that they had given. And yet Jesus did not reject their amount. See, he wasn't big on the size of their amount that they put in. He was big on the size of their heart. He was very big on that. See, here Jesus knew that it was the spirit that counted. The attitude that counted. See, the motivation that made the gift acceptable. See, I want you to know something. And I want, I want to share this with you here this morning. The tithe, I want you to know this, tithing, it's not a bargaining agreement with God. Tithing is not a bargaining, okay, okay, God. See, this is what happens, we, we bargain with God. Say, okay, God, look, I'm going to give you 10% because that guy behind the microphone said to give you 10%. So that's what I'm going to do. But if I give you 10%, okay, this 90%, it better be like fully blessed. Because if this 90% is not fully blessed, I don't know if I'm going to give you 10% again. Maybe we might reduce it down to like nine or something. We'll see. We'll, we'll gradually see how this goes. It's a working relationship that me and you have. So we'll see what's going on with this. That's what happens many times. We try to bargain with God. And tithing becomes bargaining. Now, I don't know when tithing became bargaining, but I want you to know something. God's not looking for a bargaining agreement. He didn't look at the widow woman and say, wait, 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 how much are you putting in? Okay, wait a second. That's not enough. Uh, hold on one second. That's not uh, you guys, can, can we give her some more money because she's poor? She needs more money. Then she can put it in the basket. Then I'm going to bless it. No. Matter of fact, he used this little woman to check, spiritually check everyone else. She used her. He used her to check them all. Because it wasn't out of her wealth. It was the attitude. The, the spirit, the joy, the motivation that came with it. That when we give, we don't give out of, oh, man, I got to give this 10%. Oh, man, I, don't, oh, I mean, oh, I guess. I guess I'll do it. Listen, I want you to know something. This is a personal thing. I remember a couple of years ago, and I stuck to this. I stuck to this. Years ago, they said, man, you should give your, 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 your tithes online. And I went, uh, I now, listen, for those of you that give your tithes online, praise the Lord, amen, be blessed, hallelujah, more power to you. Keep doing it. But me personally, I just have a personal thing. This is my personal philosophy. Okay, I don't want you thinking this is biblical. The philosophy that I believe when I give, I don't want to give my tithes. Now, I'll give other stuff, but I don't want to give my tithes with a click. I don't give my tithes with a click. 
I give my tithes when I come to church and I, because I want it coming from my heart. I want it coming from here. And I get all say, I want to give with worship, with a good attitude. Because I know that sometimes, and I'll be honest, sometimes when you're in front of a computer, you don't have a good attitude. Oh, yeah, yeah, pay your tithes. Okay. Click in, click, click, click. I don't want to reduce my tithes to a click. Now, I'll give other, I've given offerings. I've paid for banquets and dinners and all that other stuff online. You know, I keep up, you know, you know way of the future, praise the Lord. But my tithes, my tithes. And I've stuck to this. There's actually been a couple of times where I was not able to make it to church. And I said, no, no, no. I got to go and I got to give it. I need to go give it first before I go anywhere else. Because I had to travel. I remember I had to travel. So before I go travel, I need to give it to my church. I need to give it here. So I went and I get the boom and I gave it. I said, no, I want to make sure because it was my attitude. It, it's not the amount that's in your hand, but it's the attitude that's in your heart. That's what God is looking for. That when you give up your tithes and offerings, it's not the amount. It's not like, okay, God's going to bless it. God, I'm giving a lot this time. See, I'm giving more than I gave last week. Therefore, you got to bless. No, don't try to bargain with God. Don't try to do that. When you give, you want to give out of joy. You want to give out of a spirit that says, God, you have blessed me with so much. I couldn't give you enough. God, I want to give to you in faith. In faith. The just shall live by. The just shall give by. By faith. See, this is a weapon that you and I have. John Wesley said this. I like this. He said, when I have money, I get rid of it quickly, lest it find a way into my heart. Stewardship, this word stewardship obviously means different things to different people. To some, it means money. To others, it means tithing or at least the, the proportion to giving. To some, it's even a bad word. To others, this word stewardship is distasteful. But for many... It is a very good and important word. Important because to many of us, stewardship is a full life process. So the stewardship of life says to me that the Christian stewardship is the response I make to everything. Not just money, but the stewardship of life is to everything that I do in my life. It is more than money. It is all of my life. And that is the very important thing that we need to understand. Now here we see a rich man. Who with most rich people, they live for the now. Now the Bible says not only was he rich, but he was young. And most young people, they also what? Live for the now. Because they just want now. Riches, I want it now. Give it to me now. Young, I'm just young. I want to live my life now. So here we see an exact opposite of a rich young ruler wanting to know about the hereafter. He didn't just want to know about the now. He wanted to know about the hereafter. See, there was a quest that this young man was on. He wanted to find out about eternal life. He says, all of these I have kept. All of these things I've done. Everything that you ask, that's what I've done. Listen, I want you to know something. Even everything that you've kept, everything that you've done, you may be free from a gross sin, but yet you can still come short of the grace and the glory of God. You can do everything that you can with your hands, but you will still fall short. 
See, what happened in Jesus' answer? This is what happened. Number one, we learned that within Jesus' answer, we must serve God out of love in order to please him rather than to gain reward. See, he boasted out of obedience to the law, this rich young ruler did. But Paul says, if I want to boast, I boast in my obedience to his love. See, when I give, I get out of love, not of law. That's what Jesus was trying to get to this young man. See, we gain eternal things that do not rust. I may not have everything in my driveway that I have, but one thing I do have is I got joy. I've got peace, and I've got love that riches cannot buy. See, I want you to know many people think i got to have the big things in the driveway. My friend, it's not the big things in the driveway. It's the big things in your heart. The love, the joy, the peace that money cannot buy. The second thing that Christ did is that Christ tested his commitment at its weakest points. He tested this young man's commitment in his weakest point. See, these areas that are in our lives that we've made important to God, the weakest link in the rich young ruler's commitment to God was his love for his possessions. God will sometimes test us in very similar ways for our own good to strengthen areas of weakness that prevent us from achieving spiritual maturity. The other day, my son, he was coming out of the car, and he, was, he hit himself along the car. And he scratched himself. And, he, and at first he didn't notice. He didn't notice. It was no big deal. But then all of a sudden we were walking and I go, hey, what's wrong with you? And he looks and he, you know, kind of sees himself that he cut himself. And he looks and goes, oh, my, you know. Now it's like, now it's time to cry. You know, I see the blood. Ah. And I looked at it. And I go, Stevie, Steve, it's okay. He goes, no, I'm bleeding. I go, like 30 seconds ago, you didn't even notice. But now that you see the blood, oh, my God. So I said, Steve, Steve, come here, come here, come here, come here. So I got him. I said, come here. Look at me. You know, I cleaned it off real quick. And then I went, Whew. I was like, is it better? He's like, yeah. So oh, that's right. Daddy's got powers. <laughs> see, the funny thing about it is that I know many of us, we go through things. And we see ourselves and we start hurting. Oh my, oh my God. Oh my. And then God comes and he just. Now the, now the thing about you and I, see us as parents, we know that our, our breath doesn't really change the fact that he's still hurt. But it's just something special about when daddy just blows on you. Just, the situation may be the same. Look, I know that you may still, ha still have the same bills. I know the finances may still look, but just when you get that, oh, thanks. That's what I needed. That's all I needed right there. See, the test of what God was doing and what Christ was telling this young man, he says, look, all I'm trying to do, I'm just trying to show you a new way. The situation may be the same, but do you feel that? Oh, yeah, I, I do. Yeah, I, I do. Some of you here this morning, you need to just make an altar call just so you can get a little. Oh, feels better. Now, you may go home and say, oh, uh, and your brother and sister are going to come up to you, your, your husband and wife. Hey, you, you know, what are we going to pay? It's all right. I just had a little bit of air come on me. You too. 
It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Now, I don't want you going around the service here today. Later on, go ahead. Brother, brother, come here, come here. God told me to tell you that. But the third thing and the last thing that we see here in this answer, and I'm coming to a close right here, is that we must learn the lesson of giving to those that are in need. Giving to those that are in need. He was told, this rich young ruler was told that he would have riches in heaven if he distributed his wealth to the poor by giving generously. See, the one thing that I've learned as it comes to the piano here this morning one thing that I've learned is that we must develop a good eye to giving those to those who are in need. Developing a good eye. The perfect illustration I can think of for this is that when I was younger, I started learning how to play baseball when I was very young. My father brought me in and he said, okay, we're going to learn baseball. And when I was in baseball, I was in t-ball. One thing that my dad used to always, always tell me, he says, hey, son, keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Now, at first, you know, you're just having fun. You're a young kid. You're like, hey, let's have fun. I just want to hit the ball. That's the funnest part. Just hit the ball. And I get to run. Because every kid just wants to run. I just want to run. But as I start at five years old, six years old, seven years old, you know, eight years old, okay, now it's going to be, you're going to kind of be serious. Are you really, do you really want to play baseball or not? Okay, yeah, I want to play baseball. Okay, keep your eye on the ball. Five years old, 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old, 12 years old. Okay. Right about there, I was 12, 13 years old. That's where I was kind of making the decision. Okay, do I want to go hang out with the gangs? What do I want to do? Do I want to go out and do over here? Do I want to play baseball? Okay, I wanted to play baseball. Okay, now you got your eye on the ball. Now at 13 years old, I remember them, my coaches telling me, now you need to develop a good eye for the ball. Okay, good. First you had your eye on the ball. That's good. I'm glad you got your eye on the ball. Now develop an eye. Develop an eye that you can see it coming. You can see it when the pitcher, when it comes out of his hand. Watch his hand. Is he throwing it like this? Do you have two fingers, four fingers? How's it coming? Which way is it coming? Is, it, is his delivery lower? Then it must be a screwball. Is it coming higher? He's coming with a fastball, forcing. And you develop an eye. You develop an eye. So when I was playing sports, that's all that was drilled into me. Develop an eye. Get an eye. See it when it's coming. Look at your peripheral vision. You see the second baseman coming? Is he coming? Okay, go back to the base. Okay, now he's off. Go back. The shortstop, hear him. Can you hear him? Can you hear him? Okay, develop an eye. You got to have eyes behind your head. Eyes behind your head. Moms, you know what I'm talking about when they say that. Eyes behind your head. Say, okay, you got to have eyes behind. You got to see it all. You got to see it. Develop an eye. Develop an eye. Know when to steal. Okay, you see the picture. Look at his hands. Look at it. You, you see his foot. You see his foot. Okay, it's coming. See his delivery. See his shoulder. Look at his shoulder. Look at his shoulder. Look at his shoulder. Develop an eye. You see what the batter say? All this stuff. You got to develop all this stuff. And you got to do all this within less than a second. You got to see it all. Within less than a second, you got to see all this. I said, look, okay, can you see it? 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 Develop an eye. What Jesus was telling this rich young ruler, saying, hey, develop an eye. Give to those who are in need. Develop. So, okay, I know you got wealth. That's good. Glad, glad you got the wealth. He didn't even rebuke him for maybe how he got his wealth. He didn't tell him that. He said, no, no, no. What you have, okay, now give it. Yeah. The Bible says he went away sad. Because what happened was Jesus was trying to get that bad out of him and wanted to get the good in him. Develop the good. The possessions had him. See, he hadn't developed an eye. Jesus was trying to get him to develop an eye. 
develop an eye for those that are in need. See, some of us, we do have an eye. We have a good eye. But to actually act on that eye, that's where Jesus says, now I want you to act on it. When you see those that are in need. I have a man by the name of Michael now that I see every time I go to Lucky's. Same every time now. And now, and I shared this story a couple of months ago when I talked about how when me and Brother Ray were at Lucky's and we prayed for this guy. Now I see him all the time. And I pray for him all the time. Now when he sees me, he goes, hey, brother, hey, brother, hey, brother. I go, I'll get you some food. He goes, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be right back. I'll be, I'll be right back. I'll pray for you. Pray for you. Because I want to make sure that my, my eye is sharp. My eye is, it has to stay sharp. It has to stay sharp. It has to stay sharp. That's what Jesus was trying to get to the disciples. That's what Jesus was trying to get to this ruler. Hey, hey, give to those in need. Give to those in need. Give to those in need. Give to those. And give generously. See, I believe that as a Christian, that that is a, one of the true hallmarks of a Christian is that we give to those that are in need. Not based out of, I have a lot of money, therefore I can give. No, what God has given me, I give. See, a lot of people think, if I had a lot of money, then I can give. That's all. I, I need a lot of money first. No, you need to develop an attitude of gratitude through giving first. Then God will bless you with what you need. See, it's the reverse in the kingdom of God. You want to be first, be last. You want to be the top, be the bottom. You want to be the greatest, be the least. It's flipped upside down. If I had money, no, no, no. You need to have a heart first. A heart for those in need. And some of you here, there's a lot of men and women that are in this church. You've got a heart like that. And I truly believe that God is going to bless you. He is going to bless you beyond your means and beyond your expectations. As I was studying, I came across two things, and I wrote this down, and this is how I'm going to conclude. Now, if you've ever felt like you've had, if all you needed was a little bit more power or a little bit more money, then you could do more for God, listen to this. Two men who lived in Rome, and we're going to look at their life in contrast. They were at different ends of the economic spectrum. Before gladiator contests in the Colosseum, everyone would stand waiting silently for a man named Caesar. The contest would not, could not begin until he arrived. When Caesar arrived, he was greeted with thunderous shouts of, Hail Caesar! Hail Caesar! He had more power, prestige, and wealth than anyone else living at that time. He was worshipped as though he was a god. But elsewhere in Rome was another man in vastly different circumstances. He was in prison and chained to guards. He invested his time in praying and writing to his friends. His name, the Apostle Paul. One man lived in an extravagant palace. The other lived in a dingy prison. One had unlimited wealth. The other lived with limited health. One was the center of attention. The other was virtually ignored. But almost 2,000 years later, people around the world recognize which of these two men that made an eternal, important contribution? They named their children after the prisoner, and we name our salads after the emperor. 
being used by Christ in a significant way has nothing to do with high position or great riches. It has everything to do with a willingness to allow Christ to become our Lord. Many people think, man, if, if only I had people shouting my name. People praising me. If only I had this much money, I would be well off. Well, there was a man shackled in prison that nobody's shouting his name. Matter of fact, probably people didn't even know his name. Cared less about it. But years later, we see the character of a man in prison as opposed to a character of a man in a palace. Even though he was in prison, he didn't let that shackle him. He didn't let that stop him. They said, I don't know what situation you're in. But if it didn't stop Paul from being in prison, I'm pretty sure that it, it shouldn't stop us from where, where we're at, what situation we're going through. They said, don't let the tithe bondage you. Say, oh, man, oh, find it. oh man money. Ah. And all of a sudden, they just, wow. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants to renew you. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. I believe that God wants to make millionaires out of this church. I believe it. But see, some of you, when you when you hear millionaires, you're like, yes, that's me. I need a million dollars. But you tend to forget the hard work that goes with it. You think that it's just going to fall out of the sky. Listen, my friend, a million dollars is not just going to fall out of the sky. That's probably... What happened to this rich young ruler? He was just given the money. And then when he was told, give it away, he's like, what? Oh, no, it's mine. Money had bondage over his heart. Freely, freely. I, we say, sing it all the time. I am free to dance. I am free to run. I am free to live. You know, start throwing in there. I am free to give. Money ain't got no hold over me. Finances ain't got no hold over me. Listen, I don't know, I don't care if you give $10 or $10,000. God's not looking at the amount. He's looking at the attitude. The woman came and thousands of years later, we use her as an example to preach to the masses of a small widow one time we hear about Zacchaeus, and yet we're, there's books written on his life because of what he did. It's small. Maybe small in your hand, but it's great in God's hands. Stand with me here this morning. I want to make two altar calls. But first, what we're going to do here. So we're going to pick up the tithes and offerings. Many of you thought, they didn't pick up tithes and offerings. Now, if you probably thought, woohoo. Yeah. Now, some of you, I know you probably came and go, man, I want to give. Now, I know there's people in this church, they come here and they're ready to give. They're like, no, 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 I, I give, man. I, I give. I'm faithful. And some people, they understand the stewardship and they're like, hey, don't be robbing me of my blessing, man. Come on. We better pick up the finances, man. Because I've had people in this church that even before we've, we've forgotten, maybe once or twice, they've come right up to me. Hey, 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 
you didn't pick up, but here's my tithe. You need to pay my tithe. I need to pay. I need to pay. So I know that there's people in this church that are like, no, no, no. So I'm going to make two altar calls. One for first-time tithers, first-timers. Or you want to renew. You've done it before. You want to renew. Then also, I'm going to make another altar call for those of you that you, in your heart, you're like, I hear you, Pastor. I hear you. I feel you. But I don't have a job. So I can't give. I want to give. I want to be a part of the kingdom growth in this church. I want to. But I don't have a job. So I'm going to pray for you that God is going to bless you with a job. And he's going to give you the right job with the right schedule, not just for church, but for your marriage, for your family. See, a lot of times you'll hear it, God's going to give you the right job so you can attend church. Yeah, I, I pray, I want you to attend church. Don't get me wrong. I, I believe that you should attend church. It's a part of, you know, the, your character, who you should be as a Christian to attend church. But more so also within your marriage and your ministry and what God has given you. You come to church here, but let's be honest, you're married every day. So that's more important. So I'm going to pray that God gives you the job that you need for your marriage. That's your first ministry. Your first ministry. God's going to give you that. So that God's going to give you a job. So first, I'm going to make an altar call for those of you that you're going to be a first-time tither or you're going to renew. You used to give tithes. You used to give. But somehow, some way in there, Things get tangled up with our heart, which is normal. It happens. Do not get entangled. The Bible talks about entanglement so much. We get entangled, civilian affairs, all this, and we get logistic and all this. Mm. Today, I'm going to break it. I'm going to break that. Faith. Faith. I, I believe. I believe it. So I'm going to pray for first time tithers or renewal. And then also for um, those of you that need a job. Bow your heads with me, and I want to pray first. Father, I pray right now that you would touch the hearts and minds, the bodies and souls of this church. Be with them right now, Lord God. Bless them according to your word, according to your will. Strengthen them in everything, everything that is needed for the kingdom growth here, Lord God. Young and old, mother and father, son and daughter. Bless them. Bless the marriages of this church, God. Grow them in faith with each other and with you. I thank you, Lord God. I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need a tithing envelope, go ahead and lift your hands. The ushers and ushers will see that you get one here this, this morning. Just remain standing with me. We're not quite over yet. The ushers and ushers to go ahead and now before I gave an altar call of a couple of months ago, we talked about giving. But today I just now don't want you just to put something inside the envelope and say, all right, I'm gonna give this. That's good and that's great. But I also this is more of a lifestyle message as well. You see those that are in need, I want you to start developing an eye, start developing an eye. But here you gotta start developing. This is where you develop, you develop in training. And this is where it is, right here in church. Right here in church. So when you start with $5, okay, I'm going to start giving $5. I get 50 bucks. I'm going to give $5. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I get $100. I'm going to give $10. Start developing and training it right here. 
If you're making out a check, write it out to Victory Outreach, and we're going to be sure that it goes towards the designated funds that it needs to furtherance the kingdom of God here within Victory Outreach Church. Let's sing this song before we pick up the tithes and offerings. Jesus at the center of it all. Hallelujah. If you have your offering, go ahead and lift it. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it'll always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus at the center, Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. Beginning to the end, it'll always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, 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 and Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Raise your offerings. Father, I pray that you would bless the giver, 30, 60, and 100 fold, according to your word and according to your will. In Jesus' name. And all together we said, remain standing there. I'll pass the offering basket. Let's sing it one more time. And then I'm going to pray for those of you that need I want you to come to this altar. I want to pray with you, lay hands on you, that God is going to bless you here this morning. Come on, slip out of your seat right now, and we're going to pray for you here this morning. Let's sing it. And from my heart come on. to come on the heavens. We're going to pray. We're going to believe. Jesus be we're going to believe as you step out in faith. You're stepping out in faith. God is going to bless you.